the sixth day is over, you have now four more left to work <coughs> and work very seriously, very diligently, very patiently and persistently to get best results of your stay here. Sixth day is a very important day. I am glad you have crossed this hurdle sixth day. As I said, the second day and the sixth day. It is difficult for a weak-minded person to cross the hurdle. On the first day, even when you start Anapana, operation starts, and with this operation, the second day one feels like running away. Then again, after Vipassana, the fifth day, sixth day, operation goes deeper. And one feels like running away, under some pretext or the other. One pretext. <clears throat> On the fifth day evening, the discourse says so much about dukkha, misery, misery. The birth starts with misery, and then the whole life misery, misery of disease, misery of old age, misery of dying, misery of things happening which you don't like. Misery of things not happening that you like, misery, misery, life after life, misery. Oh, this path is path of misery. <laughs> One doesn't want to understand. This is a very pessimistic teaching. No, I must run. Doesn't try to understand or finds an excuse to run away. There is no pessimism, not a trace of pessimism in the teaching. If the teaching said that you have to suffer, there is misery, there is no way out, then yes, pessimism. But the teaching says there is a way out. You can come out of all your miseries. And you can reach the stage where you are totally free from misery. Enjoy real peace, real harmony. Full of optimism, full of optimism. Back home in India, there is a story story in our country. A mother sends the young son to the grocer shop nearby, <coughs> gives one empty bottle, one 10 rupee currency note, go, go and buy some cooking oil. The boy goes, goes, purchases oil, the oil bottle is filled with oil. On his way back, out of carelessness, he gets knocked down. The bottle falls. Half of the oil flows out. He picks up the bottle, half empty. Crying, crying, he comes to the mother. Oh, mother, I lost half the oil. I lost half the oil. Very pessimistic, very pessimistic. Story is story. Mother sends another son, another 10 rupee note, another bottle. He also buys oil, gets the, gets the bottle filled, and story, story, he also falls down. <laughs> the bottle, bottle falls down. Half the oil has flown out. This boy picks up the bottle, very happy, smiling, and goes to the mother, look, I saved half the oil. I saved half the oil. I fell down, the bottle fell down, the bottle would have broken, all the oil would have gone away. Look, half the oil is saved. 
Both have reached in the same situation, half bottle full, half empty. One is crying for the empty one, very pessimistic. Other is happy with the filled one, at least half is full, very happy, optimistic. <coughs> story is story. Mother sends the third son. <laughs> and story is story, he also falls down, half the bottle is oil is out. He picks up the bottle, like the second boy, he comes smiling, I saved half the bottle, I saved half oil. But this boy is a Vipassana boy. Not only optimistic, he's realistic also. I have lost half the oil, this is truth. My bottle is half empty. And not only realistic, he's a workist, like Vipassana. Now I must work. He says, I go out and work hard, and by this evening I, I will earn five rupees, and get this bottle filled. So Dhamma is not merely optimism, it is also realism, it is also workism. So each individual has to work, always remaining optimistic. No pessimism, not a trace of pessimism in Dhamma. All optimism, optimism. You've got a path now to come out of misery. Misery is there. You have to accept it. Half bottle is empty, you have to accept it. How to fill it? The misery is there. Accept that misery. And the way is there to come out of misery, make use of that. This is what you started doing. <clears throat> you are realizing the truth. It is not merely an intellectual exercise, not an emotional or devotional acceptance of the truth of misery and the way out of misery. You are experiencing. When you are working with the sensation, you are living. Living wisdom is there, the truth is there, which you are experiencing. It is not the wisdom of somebody else, not a borrowed wisdom, your own wisdom with direct experience. The whole process of observing the sensation makes you understand. Because you started giving importance to the truth within the framework of the body and the truth at the experiential level. Otherwise, whole life, all importance was given to object outside, object outside. You are craving, even though you know you are craving. But you are craving for object outside. And that object has become so predominant for you, it keeps on overpowering you. You forget that you are craving. And you also forget that by craving, you lost the balance of your, life, of your mind and you become very miserable. And you also don't understand that you have become an addict to this craving. A natural requirement, you are thirsty, you want water, nothing wrong. You work hard to get water, quench your thirst. You tried, you didn't get water, you smile. All right, I try again. You didn't get, I try again. You don't lose the balance of your mind. But when you start craving, water, oh, still not water, what will happen to me? I may die, water, water. You lost the balance of your mind. You become so miserable. One is not observing all that inside. <clears throat> water is not that important. You are craving. Even craving is not that important. Craving brings misery. The moment you start craving something, that means you are wanting something which is not there. You are not contented, you are not satisfied with whatever is. You want something which is not, which is not is which is not. 
and you become very miserable because of that. You keep on realizing this. Look, I am becoming miserable. I am becoming miserable. Then there is a way to come out of it. You don't know anything. You just go get overpowered by this misery of craving, and then you don't know how you become addicted to this craving. This becomes worse. One becomes addicted to craving. When you start observing sensations, a stage will come sooner, maybe later in some cases, <clears throat> where you start understanding that you are actually not craving for this object or that object. You are craving for a particular sensation. When you crave, crave for anything, a sensation arises. And when that craving is fulfilled, there is no more sensation. And you want that sensation again. So you have to crave for something else. Once your craving is fulfilled, the object is attained, it becomes stale and you want something else. That is attained, again it becomes stale, you want something else. You have become addicted to this craving. Say somebody is living in a one-bedroom cottage, quite happy. Suddenly it comes to his mind, what one-bedroom cottage? I must have at least a big house with three bedrooms, all right? Had a house with three bedrooms. Then it must be well furnished. This furniture, that furniture, well furnished, all right, well furnished. Then that becomes stale. Then I must have this apparatus, that apparatus, a TV and a color TV and VCR and a Japanese jack deck or a washing machine or cleaning machine or this machine or that machine. The entire house is full of all these things, no space even to breathe. <laughs> and yet, no satisfaction. Craving, craving. My car. Oh, this ordinary car, a tin pot. I must have that model. How about having a Toyota? And then Toyota comes on. No, no. I must have BWL. And then, no, no. I must have Mercedes Benz. Oh, no. I must have Rolls Royce. Oh, no. And then, not Rolls Royce of this model or that model. Then, latest model, latest model. Not just one, two. A fleet of Rolls Royce, <laughs> still not contented. I must have my own helicopter. People have their helicopters. I must have a helicopter. All right, helicopter has come. Then I must have my aeroplane, my own aeroplane. Aeroplane has come. Now I want a spacecraft. <laughs> I must go to the moon. A spacecraft to take me to the moon. Oh, that also is still. I must have a spacecraft to go to the Mars, to this planet, to that planet, not that, to this galaxy, that galaxy. Oh, sky is the limit. Even sky is not the limit. No limit. It is a bottomless bucket. You can't fill it. Because you started getting addicted to craving, you are not craving for an object. You are craving for the sake of craving. That makes the <clears throat> situation worse, and this is what happens. As you proceed on the path, it will become so clear. When we say somebody is addicted to alcohol, or somebody is addicted to drugs, no, it's wrong. At the surface level, apparent level, it seems to be so. Actually, one is addicted to the sensation. By taking alcohol, one feels a kind of sensation, and one wants that sensation again and again. So one has to take alcohol again and again. One has to take drug again and again. The sensation is so important. 
This was the discovery of Buddha. Unless you start learning how to observe your sensation, you cannot come out of any addiction. Addiction of alcohol, addiction of drug is nothing compared to your addiction of craving, compared to your addiction of aversion. So many impurities of the mind. You are addicted to all those impurities and you keep on repeating them, repeating them, repeating them because you are addicted to a particular type of sensation. You want the sensation again and again. You generate certain impurities to get their sensation. When that is over, again you generate the same sensation by generating this kind of negativity. This has become the habit pattern of the mind. How to come out of it? Misery is there. But a way to come out of misery is also there. Observe. Learn how to observe. Whatever is happening, you are silent witness. Don't react. Like somebody sitting at the bank of the river. The flow of the river is there. You do nothing for the flow of the river. It's natural. Sitting at the bank, you just observe. This is more than that. A flow of vibration, sensation throughout the body. You are feeling it. Like a research scientist in his lab, in a glass tube, some chemical is there. He heats up, heats up some liquid chemical and that gets evaporated. Volatile matter gets evaporated and that moves in some other tube, gets condensed, comes out as liquid. He's just observing, just observing. When it gets evaporated, he doesn't start crying, oh, where my chemical went away. When it comes back again as a liquid form, he doesn't start dancing. He just understands. But all that understanding of a scientist is only at the intellectual level. He is not experiencing. <clears throat> Here you are experiencing the entire physical structure. What is this? How it is working? The mental structure, the combination of the two, the interaction of the two, how one is influencing the other, how one gets influenced by the other, how the mind gets originated because of matter, how the matter gets originated because of the mind. At times it looks as if matter is changing into mind. At times it looks as if the mind is changing into matter. All that one is experiencing and that makes so much difference. Then the wisdom that you get by this experience is your own wisdom. Not because Buddha said so. Not because your teacher says so. <clears throat> Not because any scripture says so. The material structure made of subatomic particles, tiny little kalapas, the entire universe made of tiny little kalapas. Four basic elements, earth, water, fire, air, and four characteristics, each of them. The entire universe is like that. Entire material universe is like that. You see things solid, earth element, liquid, water element, air, gaseous, air element, and the temperature prevailing everywhere, fire element. The snow, solid, turns into water, gets evaporated as gas, and there is temperature in all the three cases. Similarly, in our body also, bones, etc., so solid, earth element, blood, etc., water element, gas, gases, etc., air element, and the temperature prevailing, fire element. 
but that is not all. <clears throat> that's not the deeper level of the reality the characteristic of each element which you experience at the sensation level this is more important when you talk of earth element not that you look for a particle of dust in this element nothing doing water element you don't look for a drop of water in it nothing doing what is the sensation that you feel because of that <clears throat> earth element the entire field of weight from the heaviest sensation feeling to the lightest is the characteristic of the earth element like a pulverized cement dust light it becomes solidified becomes heavy when it is solidified it's rough when it is pulverized it is fine soft you get sensations like that heavy solidified sensation of one type very rough that gets dissolved and then you have soft same earth element but very soft <clears throat> all the field of weight is the characteristic of the earth element similarly the entire field of movement from the little little movement to very big movement is the element of air the entire field of temperature from the coldest to the hottest is the field of fire element and the water element binding nature cohesiveness the entire structure is within your boundary is bound up this is water element this is what you experience all the sensations that you have been experiencing till now and the all the experiences that you will experience in future you have only these four elements manifesting with this sensation or that sensation at times masses of subatomic particles will arise with the predominance of earth element or with the predominance of water element or with the predominance of air element or with the predominance of fire element that's all these four elements are there a good meditator will not get affected oh now masses of kalapas have arisen with earth element predominance of earth element let me see how long they last fire element let me see how long they last water element let me see how long they last air element let me see how long they last what does not react when just observes and these sensations which are manifestation of different elements they arise sooner or later pass away they arise sooner or later they pass away it becomes clearer clearer like a scientist you are exploring the truth the nature of these kalapas and you are also exploring exploring the truth of your mind how the mind gets influenced how you understand how these kalapas get originated how they multiply how the mind gets influenced by them and how you react and the reaction gets multiplied all that phenomena becomes so clear so clear <clears throat> these kalapas <coughs> subatomic particles how they arise how they get originated four kinds of food you give to them two material food and two mental food material input and mental input are responsible for the generation of different types of kalapas in your body 
and that you will start experiencing as you proceed on the path, it will become clearer and clearer. The material food, the food that you take once, twice or three times during the day, what type of material food you have <coughs> taken? That type of kalapas will start arising with the predominance of this element or that element. For example, as you proceed on the path and you become more and more sensitive to your sensations, it will become very clear. Say one day you have taken real hot food, Indian hot food, lot of chilies. And then you sit for meditation after some time. And you get a burning sensation here, and a burning sensation here. The fire element. You are given that input and the fire element. The atoms are arising with the predominance of fire element. You have taken very stale food or very greasy food and you sit for meditation. Earth element, you feel so heavy, so heavy here. So what type of food you are taking? You take healthy food, your body becomes healthy. You take unhealthy food, your body becomes unhealthy. Law of nature. Second input, the material input of the atmosphere around you. Every moment, the body keeps on sucking the material atmosphere around. One lives in a cold country, cold climate, one type of body. Lives in hot country, hot climate, another type of body. This kind of kalapas get generated because of the atmosphere around. Two other input, mental inputs. The present mind, at this moment, my mind is generating this particular sankhara. This sankhara, this type with this sankhara, this mind with this sankhara will start generating these atomic kalapas, particles, with particular type of element. Like at this moment, I generate anger. I have generated anger at the mental level, but the kalapas that have started generating are kalapas with the predominance of firing, <coughs> burning, burning, burning. Or I generate a fear, fear sankhara, and then trembling, trembling, air element, air element. What type of input I am, I am giving at the mental level at this moment? How the mind turns into matter or influences the matter or makes the matter to originate? in a particular way. And then the fourth input is your old sankharas. The reality of the mind is every moment it is influenced by the sankhara. The present sankhara, either you keep on generating sankhara from moment to moment, you stop generating sankhara as you practice in vipassana, you don't generate any sankhara at this moment, then your old stock will start coming up on the surface. This is the fruit of your old sankharas. In your daily life also, as you get established in the technique, it will be very clear. You get something unpleasant happens in your life. Before that something unpleasant happens in the life outside, very unpleasant sensation has started in you. And then only something unpleasant happens in the life. Something very pleasant happens in the life, a pleasant sensation has started in you. So the fruit first comes as a sensation. The seed was planted as a sensation. Say a seed of anger. My sankhara of anger. As I plant the seed of anger, I feel so much heat. Fruit of this particular sankhara when it comes up, it will come up with the same kind of sensation. Again heat, very much heat. So the sankhara that I am generating now is one input and it creates fire element in the body and the sankhara of the past 
if it is a sankhara of anger, the fruit of death will again have fire element, like this the sankhara now or the sankhara past are another two reasons for different kind of kalapas to arise, different kind of kalapas to arise. As you keep on observing, then you understand that more and more I react to these sensations, more and more I generate new sankharas and I create more and more misery for me. And if I stop generating new sankharas, then the old ones come on the surface, they create a sensation, and again I smile at the sensation, this is also impermanent, let me see how long it lasts, let me see how long it lasts, it passes away. That means layers of that particular old sankhara has come on the surface and passed away. Chunks after chunks will come on the surface and pass away. You are relieved from that. You are not generating a new sankhara. You are getting liberated from your old stock of the sankharas. And the process is such. It will take, take you to the stage. Everyone who keeps on working, working properly, of course, it takes time. Not that one becomes perfect by taking a 10-day course. But by 10-day course, one understands this is how I have to work. And one keeps on working, keeps on working. Ultimately, one reaches a stage where there is no more past sankharas left. And you don't generate a new sankhara. And this is what is called khinang puranang navang nathi sambhavang. Khinang puranang. All the old stock is eradicated now. And no new sankhara can be generated. One is a liberated person. And this happens by one's own practice. No one else can do that for you. The sankharas that is accumulated is accumulation of your own. You have accumulated them. You are responsible for that. Your ignorance is responsible for that. Slowly you are coming out of that ignorance. You are developing your wisdom, living wisdom, wisdom at the experiential level. And you see how the old stock is getting eradicated, eradicated. You are coming nearer and nearer to the final goal. Each individual has to work. No one else can do anything for you, can only just show the path. Hindrances are there, difficulties are there. In the language of those days, it is called nivarana, like curtain, thick curtains, which won't allow you to see the things behind the curtain. You can't see the, the reality within you because of these nivaranas, these obstacles, these barriers, five big nivaranas, five big barriers. I call them five big enemies of every meditation, Vipassana meditator. Five big enemies. <clears throat> Two big enemies, craving and aversion. You are meditating to come out of your old habit of craving, to come out of your old habit of aversion. And ignorantly, you are meditating. You are meditating and multiplying your craving. You are meditating and multiplying your aversion. You are supposed to come out of craving. You are supposed to come out of misery of craving. You are supposed to come out of the misery of aversion and look what you started doing. This is because of the old habit pattern of the mind, because of the ignorance, because of these nivaranas, these two nivaranas, two barriers. An example, how it happens. In a course like this, there are many reasons for asking the students, no communication, don't talk with the fellow student. If any problem, come and discuss with the assistant teacher or the teacher. But keep on working your own, keep on working your own. But human mind is human mind. Always inquisitive about others. You get one opportunity and you start talking, hey, how about you? How about you? 
and this person replies, I get a flow of tingling vibration, tingling throughout the body, and I didn't get any tingling. <laughs> and somebody says, I got a flow of like electric current throughout the body, electric current, wonderful, I didn't get, and when you sit for meditation now, I want tingling sensation, I want electric current or no electric current for me, no tingling sensation for me, and you keep craving, craving, craving. You were here to come out of craving. And in the name of meditation, in the name of vipassana, we started craving, craving, craving is craving. Misery. Even if you crave for the final goal, liberation, nirvana. I want nibbana, I want nibbana. You are running in the opposite direction of nibbana. <laughs> nibbana is a stage free from craving. And you are multiplying your craving. How can you reach the stage of free from craving by generating craving? Not possible. So whenever you find this enemy is overpowering you, come out of it as quickly as possible. Don't allow it. Whatever comes up at this moment, this sensation or that sensation, even no sensation, doesn't matter. You accept the reality of this moment as it is, as it is. What is not there, you want that. Then again, the same old habit pattern. What is not there, you want that. And that becomes craving. And you, you start having attachment to this craving. It becomes a big misery for you. Similarly, aversion. An example, you are made to sit for one hour, adhikthan, you can't open your eyes, can't open your legs, you can't open your hands, you somehow manage half an hour, you manage 45 minutes. After that, then the torture starts. Then again, the same human mind, inquisitiveness about others, you're not supposed to open your eyes. And still you open a little bit of eye. <laughs> what is happening to others? Is this pain? I am only suffering with pain when everybody is suffering with pain. <laughs> You're so curious about others. And you notice at that time everybody is sitting like a statue of Buddha. That means they have got no pain. Only I have got pain. My pain is not gone away. Everybody's pain is gone away. Oh, this pain. Then your aversion becomes multiplied. Aversion towards this plane. My teacher keeps on saying everything is anicca, anicca, impermanent, impermanent. Maybe true, but this pain is permanent. <laughs> this is not impermanent. Look, how many times I told you, you are anicca, you are anicca, and still it is not going. <laughs> this is permanent. This is permanent. Aversion, aversion, aversion. The enemy has overpowered you. You are multiplying aversion, you are here to come out of aversion and you started multiplying the aversion. Another two big enemies. Understand all these enemies, they are defilements, mental defilements, which came in your body, in your mind, as guests, and then they became owner of the house. <laughs> they don't want to go out. And when you practice Vipassana, they can't stay, they have to go out. Like you switch on, light comes and the darkness has to go. You won't have to tell darkness, so you go away now. Now there is light. When you practice Vipassana, these defilements have to go and they don't want to go. So they give a kick from within. Stop Vipassana. This is not good for me. I don't want to go. You stop Vipassana. Two kinds of kicks are given from within. One big kick is that it will make you so drowsy. You had a sound sleep, all right. You sit for meditation, you feel so drowsy, so drowsy. A very big enemy is overpowering you. Fight it out. <coughs> Have hard breathings. If that doesn't work, 
And if it is not that one hour sitting, stand up and meditate with heart breathing. That doesn't work. Get out, walk five minutes or 10 minutes, observe your sensation or respiration, come and sit. Keep on fighting this enemy. Otherwise, this enemy overpowers you, you can't meditate. Another kick from within. Either this kick will make you very much drowsy or it will make you very much agitated. You feel like doing a little bit of this. Feel like doing a little bit of this, little bit of this, little bit of this, but no meditation. You are in one hour sitting adhikta and a kick from within. You have taken whole of your body outside and then you realize, oh, I was in adhikta, how I came here. A kick from within won't allow you to practice properly. This enemy, dangerous enemy. Another enemy, fifth enemy, doubt, doubt, all kinds of doubt come in the mind. What is this technique? What sort of technique is this? Observe respiration, observe respiration. Even when I was not observing respiration, it was there all the time. What I gain by observing respiration? Now observing the heat, observing the perspiration, what I'm doing? Have I gone crazy? What kind of meditation? <laughs> and this doubt will not allow you to work. Another doubt at times, another doubt comes about your teacher. What teacher? I was expecting a great guru from India with capital G. What kind of guru? He doesn't have matted long hair, does not have big mustache or beards, even no shaven head. And he has got no bunches of rosaries around his neck, no trademark on his forehead, no paraphernalia of a teacher, no guru. What kind of guru? He doesn't look like freak. He looks like a straight. What guru? No. And he's got no supernatural power. He can't fly in the air. He can't dig dips in the earth. He and his assistant keep on asking, how about you? They should know what, how about you? Why they ask a student? No, no supernatural power. Doubt, doubt, and you can't work. Third kind of doubts come. Yes, the technique is good because so many people keep coming and they get benefit. They keep coming repeatedly. Certainly it is good. Teacher is also good because so many people listen to him, so perhaps good, all right. I am not good. I am not fit for this. Doubt about one's own capability. I am not fit. This is not the time for me. And this scene is not for me. I better quit. And one feels like running away. Oh, this doubt, 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 any of these three doubts overpowers you and you stop meditating. These five nivaranas, five enemies, be careful. Don't allow them to overpower you and then you will find you are progressing. You are progressing, you are progressing. The technique is wonderful. There is no dogma involved in it, no blind faith involved in it. No cult involved in it. It's pure science of mind and matter, the interaction of mind and matter, how out of ignorance this mind keeps on reacting to these sensations, keep on generating negativities, and because of these negativities, more and more this particular type of sensation arises, and when that sensation arises, you more react with negativity, and this vicious circle, you become miserable, more and more miserable. You start observing it, you start coming out of it, just universal law of nature, nothing to do with this particular organized religion or that organized religion. Truth is truth. 
universal truth, universal law. Dhamma is universal law, natural law, and that will become clearer and clearer if you keep on working. The law of nature is such that if you keep on reacting with negativity, you are multiplying your misery. You stop this reaction, you have started coming out of misery. And this has worked even in the past, this works now, this will keep on working in future. Even in the past, whether there was a Buddha or no Buddha, Buddha says whether I am there or not, whether somebody becomes an enlightened or not, the law of nature remains the same. It is eternal. All the time, when one generates negativity, one is bound to suffer. All the time, one starts coming out of negativity, one starts getting liberated from the misery. A Buddha discovers this law remains covered. People do not know what is happening. Deep inside how you generate negativity, people do not know. The enlightened one's enlightenment is that he goes deep inside and finds out how one keeps on generating negativities to these sensations and keeps on multiplying one's misery. How observing the sensation, one can come out of this misery, come out of the negativity. This is found out by somebody, which is there already. The law is there already. And he then, out of compassion, he starts teaching it to others, giving this technique to others. People follow it, and they come out of their misery. This happened to thousands upon thousands of people in the life of the Buddha. And after that also, during this 25 centuries, whoever practiced got the same benefit. And even in future, who will be practicing will get the same benefit. Today, anybody is practicing will get the same benefit. The law is law. It is eternal, the same law. The Dhamma is eternal. The same law prevails. At the time of Buddha, how miserable people came out of their misery, not because of any miracle or magic of Buddha. The same technique was given. One instance of this person, Angulimal, a young man, very angry, he had taken a vow that he will kill 1,000 human beings. How much anger he has got. And he killed 999 of them. And he was looking for the thousandth one. And how to remember how many he has killed. So whomever he kills, he cuts the finger and puts such a garland around his neck. And keeps on counting how many fingers. And that is why he was called Anguli Mal. One he is wearing a garland of fingers. When he was looking for the 1,000th person, he came across Buddha. Or rather, Buddha, out of compassion, came to him just to save him from his misery. No magic, no miracle. Same technique was given to him. And he started realizing that he is a miserable person, full of misery, and started working on it. And working, 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 he came out of misery. Here is the final goal of full liberated person, an anarant full of compassion, full of love, full of goodwill for others. And now he goes around from village to village, from countryside to countryside, from city to city. Everywhere people are so miserable. I was so ignorant. Out of my ignorance, I had been harming myself. I had been harming others. Like me, there are so many who are harming themselves. They are harming others. If they get this wonderful technique, certainly they will come out of their misery. Certainly they will come out of their misery. So out of compassion, he goes to different places, teaches this Dhamma, this technique to others. Some people recognize him. Although he has become a monk now, 
He's the same Angulimal who has killed my mother or killed my father or killed my wife or killed my husband or killed my son. Same Angulimal. And out of anger, they throw stones at him. They beat him. Blood starts flowing from his body. But from the heart, only compassion flows. Oh, miserable people. I was also equally miserable. Out of ignorance, I was harming myself. I was harming others. See this technique, how it helps you. You will come out of all your misery. Give it trial. Give it trial. Full of compassion. The whole life, full of compassion. How miserable people came out of their misery so easily, of course, by practicing the technique, understanding that this technique alone can take us out from the misery. Unless we come out of our negativities, unless we come out of our sankharas, there is no liberation from misery. A very miserable woman by the name of Kisa Gautami got married and for a number of years had no issue. And she was craving for a child. After a number of years, she got a child. Unfortunately, within two years, the child died. She had developed so much of attachment to the child and the child died. This sorrow was unbearable for her. She took the dead body corpse of the child to the breast and she won't give it to the people to take to the cremation ground or take to the graveyard. No, my child does not die. It is sleeping. Please do something so that he gets awakened. Please do something. And people say, no, mother, he has died. And no use expecting that he will wake up. But she has gone totally insane. No, I can't give. My, my son has not died, has not died. Please do something. Please do something. One wise person told her, nobody has got any medicine for this dead body. You may go to Buddha. He has got his meditation center here. You go there. Perhaps he may do something for you. And she went to Buddha, placed the dead body before his feet. And crying, crying, my son has not died. People say he's dead. Even if he's dead, please do something. Please do something. Buddha found that her mind was so emotionally unbalanced. Any kind of Dhamma teaching will not work there. He had his own way of teaching. <clears throat> Asked her, all right, go to the city. Get a few grains of sesame. Very happy. Buddha is going to do something for my son. Buddha said, wait. Listen the instruction properly. You must bring these seeds of sesame from some house where nobody has died. From a family where nobody has died. Yes, yes, sir. I'll bring that. And she went out. From house to house. From street to street. Every house she is asking for sesame seed. My son has died and Buddha is going to do something. Please get, give me. Oh, you may take bag full of seed. May your son get alive. And then she questions, has anybody died in your family? And with a long face, they say, yes, my father has died or my mother has died or my brother has died or so-and-so has died. And the next house and the next house. Not a single house she got where somebody has not died. And by that time, the whole day, she came to senses. There is no house, there is no family where somebody does not die. This is law of nature. People take birth to die sooner or later. And now her mind was in a position to learn Dhamma. She came back and Buddha gave Dhamma, the same Dhamma. Observe respiration, observe sensation, go deeper, deeper, deeper. And you find all your misery will get evaporated, layers after layers. And this Kisa Gautami became an Arhan, fully liberated. And all her life, 
serving people like me, so many mothers, like me, so many sisters, oh, they are so miserable. If they get this wonderful Dhamma, they will come out of their misery, out of this compassion, kept on serving people in Dhamma, kept on serving people in Dhamma. Another miserable person like this, daughter of a very rich person, Patachara, she also lost her husband, she had two sons, lost both the sons, lost her brother, mother, father. Now nobody was there in the wide world. And she became insane, total insane. Running in the streets of uh, Savati, totally naked. And people throwing stones at her, and she won't understand what is happening. Because of some past parmi, some good karmas of the past, she came in contact with Buddha. Buddha was teaching Dhamma to others, and she passed by. And Buddha said, come, my child. And she came there. And as she sat down, she got senses even for a few minutes. And she found that she is naked. Somebody threw a cloth over her. And from then onwards, she was called Patachara. Her name was Patachara. Buddha gave Dhamma the same technique. And working on it, working on it, she came out of all her miseries. If Buddha had used some miraculous powers, to give life to the son of Kisa Gautami, or give life to the sons of this Patachara, or the husband of Patachara, or the mother, father, brother of Patachara, then Buddha would not have been Buddha. Give Dhamma. This is a temporary relief. Even if somebody gets life again, it's a temporary relief. Misery is there all the time. One starts understanding as one progresses on the path, a time comes, one can remember the past, Lives after lives. And Buddha says, you just see, lives after lives, countless lives. How many of your relatives, your dear ones have passed, passed away? They have died. If you just accumulate the bones of all those who have died in the past, and you accumulate, it will be like a huge mountain. And the tears that you have shed with every dear one who has died, if you accumulate all those tears, it will be like a huge ocean. You want to carry on the same thing in future also. Life after life, countless life in future. Again, rolling in misery. Come out of it. Here is a way. Here is a technique. Enough is enough. You have suffered so much. Come out of it now. Come out of it. And he gives this technique, which is just law of nature. Everybody works on it. Whoever works comes out of it. And it is not necessary also that to work on this technique, one must come out of the householder's life one should become a monk or a nun. Well, if one becomes a monk or a nun, there are less responsibilities of the worldly life, and one can work, give full time to this, the work becomes easier. But this is not absolutely essential. Dhamma is for everyone. A recluse, a monk, a nun, or a householder. Householder may have difficulties because of so many responsibilities, but still the path is the same for both. Hardly there were 100,000 monks or nuns with him. And rest of them, millions of them in northern India, practicing vipassana and coming out of their misery, practicing vipassana, coming out of their misery. An incident of a very rich person, a multimillionaire of those days, Anath Pendika, he used to give a lot of dana, lot of dana. Because tradition is such that a householder must give dana. If one does not give dana, then there is more of ego. 
As a householder, one is not supposed to beg food from others. For a monk, it is all right. For a nun, it is all right. As a householder, one has to earn money properly, honestly, hardworkingly. But when you start earning money, then the madness comes. I am so smart. I am so intelligent. And that is why I am earning so much money. This ego, one starts living an ego-centered life, a self-centered life, and starts hating everybody else. Oh, these people, ignorant people, they are not intelligent, they are not smart, that's why they are not hardworking, that's why they are not earning. And I look, I am so smart, I am so intelligent, I am so hardworking. This ego comes, which is dangerous. The whole purpose of giving dana was to come out of the ego. And the same dana makes one ego-centered person, one has lost dhamma, one doesn't know what for I am giving dana. This person was giving lot of dana. This title, Anath Pindaka, Anath means orphans, those who are very poor. Pindaka, one who gives them food, that was his title, because he was giving so much food to all hungry people. He had branches of his business throughout India and beyond India in different countries. And this was a rule that wherever his office or branch is there, nobody should remain, go hungry there. People should get food. But still he didn't know Dhamma. Came in contact with Buddha, that means came in contact with Dhamma. Got Vipassana, practicing, practicing, purified the mind, purified the mind. Got the first dip of Nibbanic stage. Changed the person altogether. Now he was a changed person altogether. Now giving donation is not to build ego. It's to deflate ego, it's to dissolve ego. All this money that has come to me, it is because of my past good karmas it has come to me. It must be used for the good of others. Of course, as a householder, I must make use of it for my own maintenance, for the maintenance of all those who are depending on me, but the rest of it must go for the good of others, for the good of others. And now he understands the good of others, which is the real good of others, I give food to a hungry person, I must give, it's all right. But next day again, this person is hungry. I give water to a thirsty person, after some time again, he may become thirsty. I give some medicine to a sick person, he may get another disease, or the same disease may come up again. I may give clothes to a naked person, after some time the clothes get worn, torn, and again he is naked. I am not taking out, I am not helping people to come out of all their miseries, if they get dhamma. If they get this wonderful technique of Vipassana, oh, they come out of their misery. Total liberation from misery. Misery that they were encountering from life after life, life after life, they will come out of it. Dhamma should go to each and every suffering person. Besides all that I am giving material dana, this dana is most important. Sabba danang, dhamma danang janati. The dana of dhamma is the highest dana. And he goes to Buddha. Buddha at that time was living in Rajgiri. <clears throat> Pays respect to him and tells sir, why not come to Shavasti? He was living in Shavasti, which was the most populated city of India of those days. Most populated city, large number of people are miserable, all miserable, rich or poor. If you have a meditation center there, so many people will get benefits, sir. Please do something, come there. Buddha smiled. So he understood that Buddha has agreed. He came back home, looking for a center, a place where Buddha can start teaching Dhamma to people. 
Meditation center should not be in the midst of the city with so much of noise and all. It should not be very far away where people cannot go. So looking for a proper place, peaceful and yet not very far away from the city, he came across, came across a garden, a park, very calm, very quiet, congenial for meditation. And he inquired who is the owner of this park. And he came to know that the prince, the son of the king is the owner. Prince Jaita, and he went to him, Sir, I want to buy your park. And the prince became very angry. I am not here to sell my park. This is for my own amusement. I can't sell it. No, sir, I have to buy any price just to get rid of him. The prince says, you know the price of this land? You have to spread gold sovereigns, the entire land. This is the price. The deal is done. I will spread sovereigns. Cart loads of sovereigns he is bringing and spreading. The prince says, have you gone mad? No land can be that valuable. What are you doing? Are you a mad person? He says, no, I am not mad. This land is going to become so valuable. Buddha is going to come here and teach wonderful Vipassana. And all my wealth is nothing compared to one person getting Vipassana. Even one person comes out of the misery. My wealth is nothing compared to that. And I know not one person, thousands upon thousands will get benefit. And he made a meditation center where 10,000 people can live, stay, meditate, learn Dhamma. This volition to serve others, dana was there even previously. Now the dana is how more and more people will get benefited. Not to inflate his ego, to deflate his ego, dissolve the ego, just to serve others, serve others. This multimillionaire, it so happened that due to some karmas of the past, he became a pauper for a short period. He had no money. He is a pauper. And when he was a moneyed person, he will come to this center every day, morning and evening, to meditate. And as a householder, he understands, I should not go to the center empty-handed. I must carry something for the meditators. And every time he comes, he brings something for the meditators. Now he's a pauper. He's got nothing to bring. And then something comes in his mind. Behind his house, he's got a small garden. And in that garden, he has accumulated very good fertile soil from different parts of India. Now he takes two handful of that earth, fertile earth. Comes to the center, under a tree, at the root of the tree. May this tree grow. Under the shade of this tree, may someone get dhamma, may someone get meditation. Volition is there. Whether handful of earth or millions of rupees makes no difference. Volition. It is the volition that counts. After some time again, he became multimillionaire, started giving the donation in the same way. He understands dhamma now, that whatever I give, the amount is immaterial. My volition, my dhamma volition for the good of others for the benefit of others, not expecting anything in return. When one does not know Dhamma, then one keeps on giving dana, but inflating the ego. One builds a big hospital, a school, a college, but wants it to be named a Goenka hospital, a Goenka school, a Goenka college, and this name must be written in golden letters at the gate. Goinka school, Goinka call. Madness. One doesn't know what one is doing. The whole, whole volition is wrong. Understanding of Dhamma is wrong.
The evolution is to give without expecting anything in return, to give for the benefit of others, for the benefit of others. How people started changing, changing in their life. Different people, householders. One mother Visakha, again a daughter of a very rich person, married to another rich person, but the family had no dhamma at all. And how very wisely she turns the entire atmosphere of this family where there was no dhamma. How everybody became a good meditator and changed the whole attitude of the family. And the whole family became full of peace, harmony, where there was so much of tension and misery. How dhamma starts working, brings peace for one and all. And this was not merely at the time of Buddha. It kept on. Whoever worked, whenever one worked, the same result comes. One incident in the life of my teacher, Siyaji Ubakin, when Burma became independent, <clears throat> they were small, small states, princely states, and a person, a good politician, statesman, he amalgamated all these states and made a union of Burma. And to satisfy these princes, one of their leaders was made the president of the country, of the union of Burma. Now, president has got no power according to the constitution. There, the prime minister has all the powers. And yet, this person becomes so happy that I am now the president of the Union of Burma. Previously, I was just a, a ruler of a small, small place. Very happy. One evening, he gives a big party. All the diplomats and elite of the, of the city, they all come there. A big party. 7.30 is the time to start the party. Everybody has come. All the guests have come. The host is not to be seen. 7.45, the host is not to be seen. 8 o'clock, the host is not coming. Prime Minister got worried. What's going on? He sent somebody to the residence in the first floor. And those who went up there came back and told him, Sir, he can't come. Why? What happened? He has drank so much. He's unconscious, lying on the floor. He can't come. Oh, but without the host, how can this party, this is the president's party, conscious or unconscious, bring him somehow. <laughs> Let us start the party. And two of them helped him to come. Half conscious, half unconscious, hiccuping, hiccuping, and he comes. He's made to sit on the main chair. And the course, and the dinner starts. First course is served. Second course is served. When the third course was being served, he started vomiting. Vomiting. Prime Minister was so unhappy. We call our land a dhamma land, our government a dhamma government, and what sort of president we have got? What could be done? Next day when he came to census, he telephoned to prime minister, if you want, I will resign. But I cannot come out of alcohol. It is impossible. In our royal tradition, when the heir to the throne is born, that means the first son to the king is born, then the first input given is the best quality alcohol in a silver spoon or a gold spoon. This was my first input, sir. And since then, I'm taking alcohol, alcohol. Half of my blood has become alcohol. I can't come, up, can't come out of alcohol. Now, this person, fortunate because of some good parmi of the past, one day he passes in front of the teacher's Siyaji Ubakin Center, just out of inquisitiveness, enters there. And that was the day, the 10th day, the last day, and he sees everybody's face blooming. But the operation is over now. And balm is given on the wounds. Everybody smiling, smiling. Hey, what's going on here? Meditation is taught. What meditation? Anapana is taught. Vipassana is taught. Being a born Buddhist, 
He has been reading about this anapana and vipassana in the scriptures, but he never knew that anybody is teaching this, and such results are coming. Everybody says we feel so peaceful, so harmonious. I had no peace in my life. I never know what harmony is. I am such an agitated person. Sir, can I come? Can I come and also join? Yes, yes. Whether a prince or a pauper, anybody, everybody can come and meditate. What shall I have to do? You have to take five precepts. Five precepts? Oh, no, 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 four precepts. <laughs> Fifth one is out of question. I can't do. Then go away. We can't take you. And he wants this peace. And he's not taken. So he starts arguing, starts bargaining. One, one little peg, sir, every day, very little. No, nothing doing. One peg after alternative days, nothing doing. One in five days, nothing doing. Go away. We can't teach you unless you have got this foundation strong. This five sila are foundation of meditation. And then he says, all right. Then somehow I will control myself. But sir, under one condition, that when I go back home, you should not stop me from drinking. How can I stop you going back home? You are your own master. You drink as much as you like. But here, no. I would recommend you going back home. You should not drink. But if you drink, how can I stop you? But these 10 days, no drink. All right, sir. I want peace. I want harmony. And he practiced. The same practice. After 10 days, he goes to the president's house, his own house there. And somebody is drinking even 100 yards away. He says, stinking. Who is drinking here? He can't bear. He can't bear others drinking. Out of question for him to drink. And the whole 10 days, nobody told him, if you go back home and drink, you will get this hell or that hell. Nothing doing. In Dhamma, there is no threatening. What happens? What is drink? He's addicted to the sensation of the drink. And when he learned how to observe the sensation, observe the sensation, all the sankharas of the alcohol had gone away. The addiction of alcohol was gone away. How can he drink now? If this has happened only to one president of the Union of Burma, perhaps there was some miracle involved. This happens to thousands of people coming to courses. Addict to alcohol, addict to drug, addict to this, or more than that, addict to craving, addict to aversion, addict to fear, addict to depression, all these mental illnesses, how they go away easily. Dhamma is so wonderful. Dhamma is so scientific. Dhamma is so non-sectarian. Dhamma is so universal. Dhamma is so result-oriented. It gives you result here and now in this very life. Good that you have joined the course. Make best use of the remaining four days. They are wonderful days of your life. At least get established in the technique, how to practice it. It's a lifetime job. You have to work for the whole life, but get established in the technique. Make use of the time. Make use of the opportunity. Make use of the facility. Make use of this wonderful Dhamma, the wonderful technique. To come out of the bondage of all the cravings, aversions, illusions, delusions. To enjoy real peace real harmony, real happiness. May all of you enjoy real peace, real harmony, real happiness. Bhavad Bhavad Sarva
yerden Take rest for about five minutes and then again start working. Take rest for five minutes. <laughs> 